0: Happy Tuesday, everyone. Karen Fontenot here, welcoming you to another episode of Genesis on Tuesday, where we study the great first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, Genesis, where we find every doctrine of scripture included in this book, along with God's great plan of redemption for us in and through Jesus Christ. Now, let's get right into the content. Genesis chapter four, verse one, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today, especially with this being um, the day after Christmas Which brings on so much more meaning to our study in that Jesus was the fulfillment or is the fulfillment of the promise, your promise, first made to the first man as we have been celebrating and we are celebrating the birth and the arrival of the second Adam the promised seed who came and made things right. Open our eyes, O Lord, that we may behold great and wondrous things out of thy law. We thank you for eyes that see and ears that hear revelation from heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen. As we start today's lesson, I would like to start with with this being Christmas after all, or it's the day after Christmas, and I would like to start in the first chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, and this is the promise kept uh in Matthew at the first page of Matthew in my Bible I have written uh the promise of Genesis promise made to Abraham well and before Abraham the promise was made to Adam and to his wife and then or to his wife I should say and then the promise was made to Abraham and then In 2 Samuel, God promises David. But the Gospel of Matthew starts this way. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Promise made, promise kept. In Matthew 1 and verse 1 It's all about Jesus, the promise to David and to Abraham kept. And I like how it starts too. and this is of note, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. In other words, how he was generated. In other words, he wasn't generated like all the others before him. And if you continue... In verse two, he starts with Abraham and he says, Abraham beget Jacob, or excuse me, Abraham beget Isaac and Isaac beget Jacob. Jacob beget Judas and his brethren and on and on he goes down the line and each one beget, beget. And so each of these named, everyone named was begotten or they were generated a certain way. Then, however, you get to verse 18, and the scripture says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. However, it was different from all those others. So, amen. I thought that um that would be a great way to start um uh, today. With the fulfillment of the promise which we first see uh, here after or at the sentencing of the man and his wife, we see God made his promise. And there indeed in Matthew, we see that it was kept. And so we will continue in chapter 4. Of Genesis and verse one, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, "I have gotten a man from the Lord, and she again bare his brother Abel. now um something needs to be explained here first of all, this was a multiple birth because the word conceived is mentioned once, yet she bare twice, okay? Uh, she conceived and bare came. She said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And then she again bare his brother. So this is at least a twin birth. But actually, I want to uh, just talk to you about something and mention something to you. Um sometimes when you read Genesis and in particular in, I'll just go over to chapter five for a moment. And chapter five gives you the generations of Adam. And it's, you know, starts out, he says, uh, let's see. And Adam lived 130 years and begat Seth. Now, for example, he says he begets Seth and then the days of Adam after he begets Seth were, you know, 800. He gives the number of years. But a lot of times in this chronology and in the generations that are given in chapter five, the names that are mentioned, it almost gives the indication that, okay, it says that. Adam bore Seth, and then Seth, or Adam beget Seth, and then Seth beget, uh, was it Enos, and then Enos beget uh, Cainan, and and on and on it goes like that. Well, only one in each case, and with the exception of a handful of cases, there's more than one name mentioned. But in most cases, one man or one individual is mentioned but and so it gives the idea that each man had one son and on down the line like that and it gives the impression the reader can get the impression that there really aren't that many people living on the earth that it's not very populated but what is actually happening here and this is likewise uh when you read the generation, uh, the generational account in Matthew chapter one that we referenced, it doesn't really mean, you know, the names given in the genealogy. It doesn't mean that that was the only child that that individual had, because it says that Abraham begat Isaac. Yes, he did, but he, you see, he also had. Uh, what, Ishmael, and then what, six other sons with Keturah, but they are not named. Well, it's because what he's talking about is the genealogy, and he's talking about the line that leads directly to Jesus. So uh, with all of the sons that Abraham had, Isaac was the one. That Messiah came through and then of course Isaac had Jacob and Esau but Messiah didn't come through Esau he came through Jacob so as is the case and I actually while we're on chapter 5 I'd like to just read something to you to bear this out. Let's just say this, for example, verse 3 of chapter 5. And Adam lived 130 years and beget a son in his own likeness. And I would just say for the record, um, the Midrash says, and the Jews, the sages say that Adam and Eve, um, they were... uh, Separated from each other or if we call it that or um, not on good terms for 130 years uh, or so that after the murder of Abel that, you know, they were estranged 130 years because then it says he lived 130 years and beget a son in his own likeness and after his image and called his name Seth. And then Seth is, it means replacement, that Seth, and then Eve went on to say that uh, Seth is the replacement for Abel whom Cain slew. But back to my point here, in the days of Adam, After he had begotten Seth, now Seth is mentioned because Seth is in the Messianic line. After he had begotten Seth were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. So it doesn't tell us the number, but Adam and Eve had a lot of children, and again, let's go on to, and Seth lived a hundred years and beget Enos. So Enos is mentioned because he is in the messianic line and he says, let's see, Seth lived a hundred and five years and beget Enos and Seth lived after he beget Enos eight hundred and seven years And begat sons and daughters. So these are on and down the line it goes. And in each case, the person who is in the, who contributes or makes up the messianic line, their name is mentioned. But the scripture goes on to tell us in the record that that individual lives yet hundreds more years and begets sons and daughters, plural. So, you know, the earth, the population of the earth, uh, you know, it, it, it multiplied exponentially. And I had even heard a scholar say that it is quite easy, quite easy to deduce that by the time of the flood of Noah, There could have easily been conservatively a million people on the earth. Well, certainly, especially when we consider that, um, okay, a couple, you know, they live, they have one child who is mentioned, live another seven or 800 years and has more sons and daughters. And then keep in mind that those sons and daughters grow into adulthood and they marry and they have many children. And you have to keep in mind also that this, you know, Adam is the first man who is physically and genetically and in every way perfect and So, you, all of these very, very earliest, earliest generations of man, they're not far at all removed from that perfection. So, these are people who, um, you know, they don't have physical ailments or um, things that it's not as it is these days, shall we say, for example, or even for the past number of years where you know you have couples who marry and some you know don't have children they just they have this problem or that issue uh in terms of conception and uh and and they just never conceive or or there will be miscarriages and a number of things like that but here in this case you know this is um you know you're right close to again, perfection and is not that far removed. And as the case goes, you know, that things and with the progression of sin or or once death enters the earth, then things would get uh, progressively worse as things go down the line. <clears throat> but sin has not long and death by sin has not long been in the earth. And so... People um, are having children, healthy children, yet easily as relative to today. And um, so you, the earth is populated with a whole, whole, whole lot of people. And I would also just say, and this is a side note, but it's worth studying also that remember that the atmospherics and as well as the uh physical makeup of the earth changed a lot after the flood and one thing to make note of is that you know the atmosphere was very different before the flood one thing of note is that before the flood there was what is known as a crystalline canopy which covered or was a canopy around the earth and it was a crystalline and composure and it was pink colored and we can still see some of that peeking through even nowadays that's why sometimes our sunsets and some of our sunsets we'll see some shades of pink in there, and that's some remnants of the crystalline canopy. But anyway, um, the with the earth covered by that crystalline canopy, the atmospherics were very, very, very different. Um, the topsoil, for instance, I think we said in a previous episode that the topsoil usually was about you know, six feet high. Um, Crops, vegetation just grew and at a rate and in ways that we just don't see today. And the actual atmosphere was very different. Um, For example, a person could, it was common, a person back then could run roughly 150 and closer to 200 miles before even becoming winded. That is just how, how um, atmospherically everything was different. And of course, you know, such divinely wonderful, pristine environment for all to live in but i say all of this just to make the point that things were very different that we can't um we really shouldn't in other words we don't think of people living in this day and time having 30, 40 or even hundreds of children you know uh even someone having A dozen or ten children these days is considered, good heavens, you know, how did they do it? But it just wasn't like that then. Um, And I—that that is my point for saying all of that. That sometimes people can um, sometimes have a hard time believing the Bible or sometimes people might even think, or get the idea it's mythical. Well, it's because all too often we think of history or we think of all of life as it relates to how we live today. And even more so, we all too often uh, want to, we read the Bible with Western eyes because we are Western people. But this is an Eastern book. (laughs) It is a Middle Eastern book, and so we have to just, you know, study it and um, not try to make it conform to our Western ways of thinking. But anyway, let us continue on. But getting back to the births of Adam and Eve, or the births of Cain and Abel, and saying that this was at least a twin birth, it definitely was a multiple birth. And the the rabbis say, and the midrash says in Genesis Rabbah twenty two in the midrash, it says that uh as it is worded, two the midrash says that two went up to the marriage bed, that being uh Adam and Eve, and seven returned. So the sages say that Adam and Eve that in this conception that she conceived now, Genesis 4-1 tells us Cain and Abel, but the Midrash says that they had um, two sons and three daughters. So, and thereby, as the Midrash says, that uh, that would have provided for the wives that those two, that each son was born with a twin, with a corresponding um, twin sister, thereby allowing for them to have offspring, which sounds terrible and incestuous to us, but... um, the psalmist David talks about that God created the world in Hesed, the Greek word Hesed, or the world was created in kindness. And that word, kindness, as it relates to the kindness that would have permitted for and allowed for that if you're going to start the world with two people with one man and one woman and generate all of mankind from them, then there's going to have to be a special endowment of God, of special kindness, uh, a special provision would have to be made for there not to be incestual laws or inhibitions with respect to Uh, are prohibitions with respect to close sibling or the sibling relationships. And so, thereby, their Cain and Abel's children would have come from their siblings. And that is what the Midrash says. But the girls or the other births are not mentioned in Genesis here in, in chapter Uh, 4 and verse 1, I'm gathering because Cain and Abel are the two of consequence of which the story develops from, and they are the two of whom um, the next events will unfold. So Cain is the first of her children to come forth, and she says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And it is said that, in one way, she is acknowledging uh the profoundness of the situation in that and recognizing that um the only other man on the earth was her husband, Adam, who didn't come from a woman, you know he came from out of he came from the dust, and so Adam came from the dust, and she herself came from him, and so this is another first where a man uh, who, I guess, you know, she she can look at her son and she can see that he is an ish, or of the male persuasion, as is her husband, but he didn't come from the ground. You know, but he came from her. And so that, it's an acknowledgement that I have gotten a man from the Lord. And, um which, you know, by the way, I mean, how, how blessed and just unique would be the understatement of the millennium that these two are. And all of the firsts, the firsts, the firsts. And for Adam to see her being generated, the only woman who will ever be generated that way, and he got to see it. And she's the first woman to give birth. I'm just, even that in and of itself is uh, just even too wonderful to, you know, really ponder. But, and now I'm going to read from Genesis Robba 22, which is an expansion of Genesis 4 and 2. It says, quote, she gave birth once again to his brother Abel. This supports Rabbi Yashua ben Korah who said two entered the bed and seven descended. She gave, wa- she gave birth once again to his brother Abel. She gave birth once again but did not become pregnant once again. And Abel was a shepherd and Cain, a cultivator of the ground. So, uh, Cain obviously took on the occupation of his father, who was a tiller of the ground, and um, Abel became a keeper of the sheep, which that in and of itself does not escape me one bit. (laughs) So Abel is the first shepherd. Well, my goodness, I mean, every hereafter, every connotation in scripture to shepherd or every, not connotation, but every reference to shepherd is a good reference. And of course, with Jesus Christ being the shepherd, the chief shepherd and bishop of our souls and you know what does it this just tells us about everything we need to know about Abel as one who just decides to be one to care for the sheep and um that's no small task as um we many may or not may or may not have heard or been taught but sheep are not very bright animals at all. That they, they hardly know how to do anything for themselves. Um, you know, you have to shear them ever so often. You have to, because their hairs, their coats, just the wool, it grows and grows and grows so much. And if you don't even, if you don't shear them in time, they get to be too big and they're... Um, um, their hair or the wool is too weighty and their legs can barely support themselves and they roll over. They can barely make themselves stand up because they get too heavy. <laughs> and you know, you have to have hooks to draw them in because they don't, they can barely realize when they're too close to a ledge and they don't have the sense to know, to cut to, to draw back from trouble. <laughs> but suffice it to say um, that speaks volumes to who Abel is already. But Cain, his name means acquisition. Um, I kind of even think of She called him, well, she said, I have gotten or I've acquired a man from the Lord. So she called him an acquisition. And I also think that that should have some uh, reference in her heart to uh, an inheritance. I mean, she didn't understand the full weight of the plan of God. She just knew that he promised her a redeemer and... I mean, just as so many of us do, when God makes us a promise and we think and we consider it'll happen right then. And so God promises a deliverer and the first she gives birth to a man and she probably does assume that that's him. So um, she calls him an acquisition and she also... um, an inheritance and but it's quite interesting the name that she gave to Abel and this <laughs> well it, it takes quite some pondering but Abel means is translated transitoriness or breath or vanity and I go wow I you know what's where was she going with that? And was she thinking, well, this one is just extra? Because, you know, my I, I got my acquisition with the first one. And is this one, you know, is this just extra or fleeting? Or is this one just a, a vanity? Uh, Or, you know, I, I don't tend to think that this would be the case that she would have seen into the future that his life would be um, very fleeting and would be cut very short. Or perhaps she did. God only knows. And I don't really like to speculate on things. But but anyway, that is what she named her sons. And verse 3 says... In the process of time, it came to pass. Now this, in the process of time, it indicates that clearly their father taught them about offerings. He clearly taught them about bringing God, the father bringing God an offering and making sacrifices to him. Clearly they learned that from their father. And evidently, there was a place in which this was um, or the, actually a place and a time because it says in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering. So there was a time and a place in which to do it. Some commentaries say that that period would have been at the end of seven days but um, others say that it would have been the end of the year. And just as we see revealed something about the character of Abel being a shepherd, <clears throat> likewise, <clears throat> we can see the character of um, Cain being a tiller of the ground and how that he would bring an offering. The offering that he brought to God came, as it says, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. Which first off, it you know, <laughs> the ground has been cursed, and that's where he's bringing the offering from. So uh, that's interesting of note. But furthermore, but it says that Cain brought. Of the fruit of the ground but then if you read four into verse four and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock so that there's the distinction made right there Cain brought some he brought an offering but he did it on his terms he just brought some fruit but it clearly wasn't the first. And the best, whereas of Abel it says that he brought the firstlings, not only the first of the flock, and also the fat thereof. So Abel is bringing the best, and the scripture goes on to say in verse 4 And the Lord had respect unto. Now, look at this twofold respect. He had respect to Abel and to his offering. And likewise, the twofold in verse 5 but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. Something else very important to make note of here, and let's all make a note of it. Write it down, underline it, highlight it, and all of this. But it is worth noting, as we are told in verse 3, that in the process of time, so Cain and Abel, they brought their offering to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. It didn't say that they brought their offering to Elohim, who we were first introduced to in Genesis 1-1. Elohim the triune God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth no that's not who they brought the offering to but we talked about the Lord who is that's translated Yehovah or Jehovah the covenant keeping God the God who is covenanted to us. The God who has said, I will preserve you and keep you alive. It is he who came on the scene after they fell and made sure that a covering was made for them, not only in respect to extra layers of skin, but also that there was the shedding of blood of an animal to cover for them is he is saying, I will preserve you and keep you alive. And whereas for this sin, um, there is a cost to pay. There is a penalty, but there will be a substitute. Um, You won't have, there will be a death, but it's not you who's going to have to die. Amen. So they bring their offerings to the Lord, who is our covenant keeping God, who is preserving them, who is keeping them alive, who is the source and the sustainer of their lives. So it is to Him that they bring an offering. Which again clearly their father <clears throat> would have taught them. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4 tells us, gives us more insight into this lovely man, Abel. And he says that by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which by which or by his offering he obtained witness that he was righteous Mm. God testifying of his gifts and by it he being dead yet speaks so Abel His sacrifice was more excellent than Cain's because he offered it in faith. And this is, you know, uh, Hebrews 11 speaks to, uh, as we call it, the great chapter of faith or the hall of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. You know, by faith, the elder Abel, he obtained a good report that somehow he had the faith that it, it's the substance. Faith is a real thing. It is actual substance. It's evidence of what we don't see and that he knew that by faith, I can bring this offering To the Lord, I can give him the fattest, I can give him the best and the first of this flock, and he I know he will receive it and he will receive me. That's faith. Come on, that's faith. That is not so spoken of his brother Cain, who brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. And uh, the Midrash in Genesis Rabbah says it was from the refuse. It's basically it was just from the leftovers, just whatever. You know, it wasn't the it wasn't the best. It's just kind of just something, and almost it gives the indication of that he likely kept for himself. Um, you know, the best, and he just offered God what, you know, something that was left over that is similar to the sons of Eli those wicked sons of Eli who were likewise taught by their father the right way to sacrifice but um they would eat the fat they would eat the best for themselves and they would throw something on the altar of sacrifice for God just you know whatever was left over And here that is what we see with Cain. The scripture says that God had respect to both Abel and to his offering. And the Hebrew translated that word respect to the Hebrew translates it this way. It says that the Lord turned to Abel and to his offering so that he was contented with him personally. So to him and his offering, he turned toward him. He says, but to Cain and to his offering, King James says he did not respect. And the Hebrew says he did, God did not turn. And said Cain became very wroth is what the King James says. And his countenance fell. And then the Hebrew says that. Cain became incensed, and his face became downcast, and the Hebrew says it became, his face became like fire. So he's raging mad. And in fact, the Apostle John the Elder gives us an in-depth look, and he Pulls the curtain back, as it were, and he allows us to see into the character of Cain. And I am looking at First John, the Epistle of First John, chapter three. And he's talking in this particular section. He's talking about love for the brethren. And when he talks about loving our brothers, he says, I'll just start with verse 11. Well, let me start with verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest, or the children of God are evident, and the children of the devil. Huh. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God neither he that loveth not his brother. Verse 11, for this is the message that we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. Wow, wow, wow. I'd like to look at the some of these notations, references in the margin of my Bible. And it says, You know what? This is real time, y'all. And this is the first time as I read this right now that I have read these in the uh, reference in the margin of this particular Bible. So verse 12 says, not as Cain. And then the reference to Cain, I look over and it says, Cain was of Satan. My goodness. Reference from Genesis 4 verse 1 as well as 1 John 3 and 8. Wow. And 1 John 3 and 8 says this, He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoa. Now let's look, verse twelve. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Now the margin of my Bible there under because, this notation says, because he was a better man and more righteous than himself. This is many times the excuse of enmity. Hmm. And that gives us another reference to Hebrews 11 and 4, which... I think that is what we read just moments ago, talking about Cain or Abel's offering, that Abel gave his offering in faith and Cain, his brother, didn't. But you know, something else that comes to mind here is that John says that Cain was of the wicked one. Now, doesn't that harken back to exactly what God said there in chapter 3 at the sentence when he talked about the seed of the woman who we know being Christ and those who belong to Christ. But then he talked about the seed of the serpent. And so we see even there, right there from the beginning, that Satan got involved there and um, even with the first man or the first man to be born of the woman that she had so much hope in, but he was of the wicked one. My goodness. I would like to close with Jude, St. Jude, the epistle, it is... One chapter, and it is right before the book of Revelation. And it tells us in verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And this is speaking of people who have who speak evil and those who have corrupted themselves. And he says, Woe unto them for they have gone in the way of Cain. Wow. So this speaks of Cain as an apostate. My goodness. Well, I think that is a good place to stop today, but in closing, I'm just pondering here about and we can it makes us turn our hearts towards offerings. And how that, you know, the Apostle Paul spoke so much about offering. Well, Jesus talked about offerings too. But, you know, something that uh, Paul spoke about the attitude of the giver in the offering. Because, you know, we want God to look upon with favor not only us, but also our offering and what we bring to him. And so what is the attitude? You know, it sounds almost like Cain, you know, brought an offering because he knew it was required, um even though he wasn't doing it right, he still wanted God to turn toward him and look favorably upon him, but he didn't. So he, you know, wanted to do it his way. And wanted God to approve of it. And it just doesn't work that way. Whereas um, Abel's heart was right. He was giving God the best and doing it in faith because he wanted to please him. And I know Paul the Apostle tells us, you know, that God loves a cheerful giver. And so don't give grudgingly or of necessity. I just have to do this. And I, you know, a lot of times when we feel that way, even though they are about to pass around the offering plate, well, just hold your offering and don't give it then. It doesn't mean you have to not give it ever, but just, you know, keep it and bring it into the plate and bring it to the Lord when you can do it in faith and when you can do it in a... Better frame of mind when you can do it in a better spirit and in a better attitude, and Jesus also said as well that um, you know before you bring your offering, if you're angry at somebody, then go make things right, then come bring your offering that that way you can bring your offering in peace so well may the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word today and father i just pray right now as i feel compelled for me and for everyone in the sound of my voice father that we mm, oh lord that you would grant unto us show us give us revelation into the truth about offerings and what it means to bring you an offering and that it isn't so much it's not for you it's really for us you don't need anything uh as someone said the heaven doesn't have a light bill you don't have any trouble keeping the lights on in glory but the offering is for us and that we bring you something in faith, knowing that you are not a man to lie, nor the son of man to repent, but we bring you an offering in faith, knowing that you are our provider in every way, and that There's no way that we can bring to you anything in faith but that it is not looked upon favorably by you and multiplied back to us in blessings and in ways beyond measure. We thank you for it. And on this day after Christmas, Thank you so much. Thank you, sir, for that wonderful, beautiful child, the child who was born, Savior of the world. Thank you for Jesus, the joy of heaven and the glory of Israel. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the lesson. See you again next week.